All right. Hey, welcome. Welcome to Church Ledger. If you're online, sorry about that technical difficulties for those of you that are here. Yeah, sorry. Well, today is a different day at New Life. A few weeks ago, I uh, continued, I was preaching a message. Uh, in fact, it was a series called What's Going On? And during that time, I said the latter part of the month of July, I would take your questions. And I would, hopefully, you would email those questions to me or you'd submit them online or in social media. Got a lot of questions. Not able to get to all of the questions today, but I picked out questions that I thought people might, uh, everybody at large might be interested in. And so I'm going to answer some of your questions hoping or believing that some of these questions might be questions that not only you had as an individual, but maybe other people would have these questions um, as well. And so it's a Q&A time with, with the pastor. So uh, I've got about six or seven questions, if we can get to them all today, uh, that I'd love to be able to take a, take a stab at at answering today. The first question we're going to go ahead and put on the screen for you uh, right now is, is, what is the purpose of the thousand-year millennial reign? What's going to happen to those who are born during the millennial reign? Okay, so if you remember, when we're talking about the book of Revelation, we're talking about this, the end of, of the tribulation period. So what happens is, right now we're living in what's called the church age. Jesus is going to rapture the church at any time. And what that means is the dead in Christ are going to rise first to meet Jesus in the, in the air. And then those of us who are still alive, that know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, we will then be caught up together. We're going to go for the trip of the ride of a lifetime. We'll be caught up together to meet Jesus in, in the clouds, in the air. And it's at that point that the tribulation then begins. It's a seven-year period where 50% of it, three and a half years is bad, but the last three and a half years is like really bad. And you don't want to be there. So what happens is those of us that have been caught up to be with Jesus, well, we get to experience a couple of special things during that seven-year tribulation when we're uh, with the Lord but people on earth will be living hell on earth. After that time, Jesus is gonna come back with all of the saints, that would be us as well, and he is going to um, conquer. He's gonna take control, inhabit the earth, and he will become the king of, of the earth for a period of 1,000 years. We call it the millennial reign. You won't find the word millennium or millennial in the Bible refer referencing this, but it's a thousand year reign. And what's gonna happen during those times or during that specific uh, period of, of uh, about a thousand years, there's a couple of references I'm gonna give you if you wanna jot them down. Not gonna read them to you right now, uh, but I do want you to be aware that this is coming based upon Daniel chapter two as well as uh, Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation, of course, chapter 20, which I want to read to you um, in just a couple of, of moments. So the thousand-year reign, I'm referring to some notes, the research that I did from Dr. Talbot. Dr. Talbot is one of the my pseudo faraway mentors in that he is the, uh, that was the founder of the university that I'm getting my doctorate from. And he wrote this, he actually preached a message, but he, but he wrote this uh, detailed paper about this. I want to share just a few highlights of what he said, and I think it's pretty powerful. What's going to happen during the millennium? A thousand years. What's going to take place during that time? Well, there's some characteristics. Number one, Jesus is going to be uh, king of the entire earth during that time. Uh, his, his kingdom will be wider than anybody can possibly fathom or imagine as we've never experienced a kingdom established like this on earth in the past. It says, um, we, we read in the book of Luke chapter one, if you wanna turn there in your Bibles, we're gonna have a little bit of a Bible study together. In Luke chapter one, Let's check out verse number 32 and verse number 33. This will not be on the screen, 32 and 33. 
He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The only prophecy, and I've stated something incorrectly and I, need to, I stand corrected. The only prophecy that we read about in scripture that hasn't been fulfilled other than Jesus returning is this prophecy. His kingdom has not yet been established upon the earth. Jesus has not taken the throne of his father David. Now, figuratively, we could say that Jesus has because he um, triumphed over death, hell, and the grave when he died and he was buried and he rose again from the grave. But the truth is, Jesus has not been established as the king of the earth. He will be during the millennial reign. He, there will actually be a throne. That throne will be in Jerusalem. There will be a, 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 a magnificent um, uh, a temple like we've never seen, like Solomon couldn't even dream or imagine. And out of that place, Jesus will rule over the entire earth. During the millennial reign, there's a few other things that I want to point out to you that, that's going to happen as well. Justice and peace will prevail. Um, he says in this, he says, no man in that day shall own anything, for Jesus will own everything. There will be no piling up of wealth. There will be no poor. There will be no socioeconomic status. There will be no wealthy. Um, but it will not be communistic. It will not be socialistic. And here's one thing that he says I think is pretty good. What's the difference between communism or socialism and Christianity? And, and the answer is this. Communism says, all you have is mine. Well, Christianity says, all I have is yours. And that is true too. When Jesus rules, there will be justice for all. Somebody say amen. During that thousand years, there will be no more curse. This will be a time during the millennial period, the thousand year period, that will be a time of blessing for all the creation. It will be like um, the Garden of Eden once again upon planet, upon planet Earth. The Earth has not yet been destroyed. Uh, it, will be, it will be renewed. The animal kingdom will be changed. I think this is fascinating. Uh, before, in the Garden of Eden, uh, the animals, no animals were metasauruses. <laughs> no animals were carnivores. They all ate grass. And so we read in Scripture, which I will show you once again, uh, we read in Scripture that uh, the lion will not eat meat. The lion will eat, indeed, grass. Animals didn't feed upon one another. Um, instead, it says in Isaiah 65, 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw. And, and uh, it's pretty powerful. Oh, the only animal that isn't going to change during the millennial period is the serpent, the snake. That will not change during the millennial period. It will be a sign, the serpent. Remember, the serpent was the sign of the devil, of the enemy in the Garden of Eden. And the serpent will continue to crawl upon the earth and his face to the ground because it will be left as a reminder of the fact that it was sin which brought the curse upon the earth. And so for a thousand years, the, the enemy, the, the, the instrument of Satan will be a warning to the nations because Christ will rule over all of creation. We will realize all of the prophetic messages that have been established before. So praise the Lord for that. I also want you to know in during the millennial period, this thousand year period, which I want you to be there with me, um, there will be, uh, the curse will be removed. Nobody will die except, asterisk, except, those that choose to rebel against Jesus. Those who rebel against God, against Jesus during the millennial reign, they will die just like Ananias and Sapphira did in the book of Acts. 
but, but if you yield your allegiance to Jesus, then you're going to live the full thousand years in that time. And I don't, it just blows my mind to think about it. And so it's, you might have some questions about this, and that's okay, but let me kind of go over this. Um, after the millennial period, at the end of the thousand year period, um, Jesus will then surrender his leadership to the only one he could surrender his leadership to, and that is to the Father, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 through 28. But before doing so, he will purify the earth once again. And here was the part of the question that I'm gonna to try to answer now. During the time of the millennial reign, the thousand years, children will be born. We read in many prophecies and we read in the book of Revelation where kids are dancing and playing on the streets. There's, it's safe, the earth is safe once again. There's no crime and there's no, there's no abuse and there's no sex trafficking and there's none of that that we have to contend with. And during this time though, because children will be born into the world, it's gonna be necessary for those people that are born to then be born again, to actually have to make a decision, a choice to follow Jesus. And it is for that reason that at the end of this millennial reign, Satan, who has been bound for a thousand years, will then be released for a short period of time before he is then finally cast into the lake of burning sulfur, which is the second death. I hope that clarifies just a little bit for those of you that might have asked that question. Maybe it'll give you a little bit more, more detail. Second question I want to address today is after the millennial reign is over, um, is, and Satan has been destroyed, it says God will create a new heaven and a new earth. After the thousand year period, Satan is let out. He's, he deceives some people and then he's thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. It says that God will create a new heavens and a new earth. Does that mean that God will start all over again? Yes. Revelation chapter 21, verses one and two. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I mentioned earlier, this is like a, a, a whole new Garden of Eden. John, in, in, who saw this revelation in the book of Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus that John saw. And when John saw this revelation, he saw the tree of life that was accessible um, and it was eternally yielding all kinds of fruit it could do this because it had its roots, it, the roots had access to this eternal river. It's all a vision that we're being given, which this river, um, it, it, depend, the, it gives the nourishment um, to all of the new creation because it flows from the throne of God. Now, John's account of the garden, John in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, compares the Garden of Eden uh, to this new heavens and new earth. But in the book of Genesis, we see the Garden of Eden as well, right? Um, the garden. And there were two people. There was a couple that was to tend to the garden. And that was Adam and Eve. The difference between this Garden of Eden and the book of Revelation Garden of Eden is that it's not a couple or two people tending to it. It's all the nations. Humans are now established, those who have made it to heaven with God in this new heaven and this new earth that's been established. God is giving us the privilege to be co-rulers with God, ready to work and to take his creation into uncharted territory. What a beautiful experience that we get to have together, that we get to experience one with another. All right, well, there's some theological questions and some of you are going, what, right? And that's okay. Now we're gonna get into maybe some practical questions that, that some, some folks had. Somebody said this, and I, um, I have edited some of these questions a little bit so that nobody could figure out who asked the question. 
but I've, told, I've been told that when we die, we're not technically in heaven. We're asleep. We're waiting for Jesus to come and make things right here on earth and we'll join him in the fight. So people don't go to, really go to heaven. They're kind of in a holding area. And that was the question. And I appreciate the question. One, one more time, uh, when we die, we technically don't go to heaven. We're asleep. We're waiting for Jesus to come and make things right here on earth so that we can join him in the fight so people don't really go to heaven. They're kind of in a holding tank or holding area. All right, well, let me explain to you a little bit that from what I understand in scripture, okay? So I don't want to stand up here as if I know all the answers, but from what I studied and from what I understand in scripture, this is the answer to the question. Prior, before Jesus died and before Jesus rose from the dead, the spirits of the Old Testament saints those people who had died prior to Jesus coming to the earth, being born, lived, died, and rose victoriously from the dead. Prior to that, those, those saints, those Old Testament people who put their trust and confidence in God, they did not go directly to heaven at the moment of their death. Since um, Jesus hadn't yet been crucified, he hadn't yet died, he hadn't yet been buried, and hadn't yet rose from the dead. That combination of things, crucified, died, buried, rose from the dead, is all encapsulated in a church word that we use called the atonement, okay? Um, so when you hear the word atonement, now you know what it means. It simply means what we talk about all the time in the church. Jesus was crucified, he died, he was buried, and he rose victoriously from the dead. Because this had not yet happened yet, um, Jesus hadn't paid the penalty on the cross, these saints, the Old Testament saints, were saved by their faith, but they, um, the sacrifice to cleanse their sins had not yet been made by Jesus. Because of their faith in God, they did not receive the penalty for their sins. But because Jesus had not yet died for them, they had not yet been cleansed from their sins. So God made a special provision for these Old Testament saints in the time before Jesus. Now keep in mind, we live in the time after Jesus. So this isn't for us, but this answers the question. These, God, God held these Old Testament saints in a place of, of comfort, in a place that we euphemistically uh, call Abraham's bosom. And that's where they waited for Christ's appearing. And so I kind of want to give you a visual of this that maybe will help you understand or help us understand just a little bit. Um, there is a... Uh, uh, there is a, a place in the Old Testament, well, it's all throughout Scripture, actually, it's called Sheol. You probably read about Sheol. Sheol is a place of, of death. It is a place, and, and in Sheol, in the Old Testament, there were, two, there were two aspects of Sheol, right? There was Abraham's bosom, Abbo is what we'll call it, right? Abraham's bosom, right? And then on the other side was a place that you've heard before is is called Hades. Okay, so Sheol, this place of death, was made up of Abraham's bosom. This would be the, the good, and this would be the bad. How about we just put it that way? And so on one side of Sheol was a place where God allowed the saints of the Old Testament, their spirits, their souls, they would then go and they would wait 
in a place of extreme comfort. Some people have called this kind of almost paradise. In a place of extreme comfort, waiting for the day that the Messiah was to come. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But on the other side, for people who did not put their faith in God, they then would go to a place called Hades, all a part of Sheol or the grave, okay? They would go to a place called Hades, which we would also know, which from which we get the word hell. These were side by side in the time prior to Jesus appearing in the first century. After Jesus died, was crucified, died, buried, and during the time that Jesus was buried. Some people say, what did he do during those three days? We like to say he took back the keys, the death, hell, and the grave. Yes, he did. Here's what Jesus did during the three days between the time that he was buried and the time that he rose from the dead. Jesus introduced himself. He entered into Sheol. That's what the Bible tells us, into the grave. And he descended, it says, and he went to both sides. He went to the side of Abraham's bosom. And it's during this time, this three-day period, that's like, kind of like Jesus introduces himself to these Old Testament saints as the Messiah. And they, of course, accepted, as they were anticipating his arrival one day, and they uh, probably were explained the plan of salvation. And at the conclusion of these three days, Jesus then uh, releases these, as Jesus ascends 40 days later into heaven, Jesus then sets these saints free from the place of Abraham's bosom and they are escorted directly into heaven. So this was a place, by the way, Abraham's bosom as of, as of that point is completely empty. There is no such thing, hear me loud and clear, no matter where you're at, there is no such thing as a place called purgatory. There is no such place. There is no, there is, it's a man-made invention. It is not found in God's word. And if something's not found in God's word, do not believe it because it's not the truth. Now, I want to be extremely respectful of what um, people tend to believe or tend to familiarly or, or traditionally or even through previous church experience, but that is not what scripture says. There is no holding tank. There's no middle ground. There is a, there's a, t- a point for when once to die and after that, the judgment. So at this point, because Jesus has come already, there's no place for us to have to wait because either we are saved or we're not. When, during the three days, Jesus not only went here and set these people free so that they could come and experience heaven with him, Jesus also went in to the belly of hell, a place called Hades. And that's where he, it's, we tend to think he did battle as if it was a battle at all. Jesus conquers, he's the king. But what he did is he didn't just, it's, it's kind of like um, there's no, there's no, there was no, Punching and slapping and grappling and wrestling and torment and struggle. There's none of that. Just like I'm here, everybody freaks out and everybody gets out of the way and he grabs the keys and then he's off, right? Okay, because Jesus wins, right? So, so, so Jesus, this is what happened during, during, the, during the three days. Today, Abraham's bosom, 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 I'm gonna have to edit that one. Abraham's, we will continue, it's empty. I hope you understand, maybe I made that clear. If not, I can answer questions at another time. The next question is a real personal one. This, this one was a, a good personal one. This one, next one's a, quite a personal question. I, I kind of want to combine a couple of questions together. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen, please, if we can. My relative was not a nice person at times. 
Some of you are like, whoa, how did he get my question? <laughs> I'm sorry. She was unhappy, an alcoholic, suffered from severe anxiety and depression, so forth. Her life wasn't good in her last years. She even stopped going to church. But after she died, her pastor said she was a believer. So if she just believed, she made it to heaven? It made me think how people can say, well, I believe in God. That's all I need. Isn't there so much more to it? This is a great question. This is a great theological question. It's a great um, um, like, like current culture question that we should address. I kind of want to couple it with the fifth question also. So let's put the fifth question up there so we can see it as well. I've been told that when you die, you go to heaven or hell immediately. But how, how do the judgments work? Okay, so I'm going to combine these questions. Let's put the first question back up again, if we can, for just a few minutes. Um, okay, talking about your relative and talking about death and going to heaven or hell, and this pastor saying, um, you know, she was a believer. And the question that the person has is, well, is that enough to just be a believer? Um, and that, that's, that's a very, very good question. I want to be very, very clear. What happens to you after death depends on a single choice that you make during your life. You can make the choice right up to the end. Hence the thief upon the cross next to Jesus, right up to your very last breath. But once you die, you cannot undo your decision or your lack of decision. There is no such thing as reincarnation. There is no such thing as reincarnation. You will not see that in the Bible. Here's where people get messed up theologically and spiritually. You will not see that in the Bible. Yeah, but I think something else. Okay, okay. So that must mean that when it says in the last chapter of the last book of Revelation, that I warned anyone who hears these words of the prophecy of this school, if anyone adds anything to them, God's gonna add the, the plagues described in this book to their life. Anyone takes these words away from this book, God will take away that person's share in heaven. So you wanna add something to it? Or you wanna take something away from it? That's a, it's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. Don't do that. Don't do that. Either accept it or, or don't accept it. But it is not in there. There is no such thing as reincarnation. You do not come back and you do not get, you don't, you're not gonna be a butterfly, you know, and you're not gonna be another human being. You do not get a second chance. Now, if you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he died on the cross to save you from your consequences of sin and if you repent of your sins, then you will receive eternal life and you will go to heaven and be with God forever. God raised Jesus from the dead. And if you believe in him and put your complete trust and faith in him, he will raise you too. There is an and there. And I wanna make sure that we, we understand this. Um, let me read to you John three sixteen through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. But if you choose to not believe 
and turn from your sins. That word believe in the Greek is more than just belief because later on we're told Jesus tells us um, you believe or, or Paul tells us you believe, that's great. Even the demons in hell believe, right? Um, and so it's, it's not the believe, just belief. It's encapsulating belief. It's a, it's a full belief in and turn away from the old life and entering into the new life. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that you're, you're in such attunement with God through the power of his spirit that when you do mess up, not if, but when you do mess up, that you will hear that voice. You will not turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to it. And you will immediately say, I am so sorry. Help me to stay on the right track. Help me to do better, God. Forgive me once again. Now, I don't fall out of relationship with someone when I mess up and tell them I'm sorry. I fall out of relationship with someone when I don't acknowledge the fact and I continue to, to do that. And you don't want to do that with God. Um, all right. Um, heaven or hell, life or death, Jesus or destruction. If you've chosen Jesus, then your spirit leaves your body when you die and your spirit goes to heaven because you're absent from the body and you're present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 tells us, therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. On the day of judgment, um, there's two judgments. I'll remind you, there is the good judgment and there is the not so good judgment. The good judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. When Jesus comes back, raptures the church, we meet him in the sky, seven-year tribulation period, hell on earth, during that seven-year tribulation period, sometime during that period, we get to do two major things in heaven. One of those things is we're going to have a huge party, right? We're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is going to be a beautiful banquet is how it's explained to us. But it's going to be amazing. And the second thing is we're going to have the judgment seat of Christ. We are going to be judged. But on the day of judgment, this judgment seat of Christ what God will not do is he's not going to roll out a scroll of all of your sins and berate you and cast you away. Jesus already suffered judgment for the sins that you've committed and have yet to commit in your life. He took the punishment for your sins. God sees you as cleansed by the blood of the lamb, by the blood of Jesus. You were forgiven. It's a gift of God's grace, not, not, not earned by any good works that you've done on earth. Your name is written in the book of life. Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, you will not be judged, listen closely, but you will be evaluated. Let me say it again. You will not be judged at the judgment seat of Christ because everybody's gonna be found to be innocent at that judgment. If you get to that judgment, you just know the answer already. But you will be evaluated for your Christian life. Now, I want to, which you gotta hear me. I'm not saying in any way, do not misunderstand me, that you earn your way into heaven. That's impossible. But you will be evaluated for your faithfulness and the things that you have done that have eternal significance and eternal value. Not your material success upon earth. You will receive rewards of some kind. The Bible gives us a visual of this. It talks about you will receive jewels in your crown. Now, I'm not even sure if that's a real, like, literal or just kind of a metaphor, but somehow you're going to be issued rewards for your faithfulness upon earth. 
So the times that you've shown up to clean the church when nobody knows that it needs to be cleaned, the time that you teach your, your kids' university class or you've gone to Epic Camp or you, know, you took off time to be able to help and serve this way or you serve your neighbor and you mow their lawn when they're incapable or unable to do that, or the things that you do for Christian service, the things that you do for unto the Lord. Whatever you do, work it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for man, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you serve, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. All of those things that you've done on earth, those give you proverbial jewels in your crown. Well, that's kind of cool. So we got to walk around heaven saying, well, you got an okay crown, but look at my crown. That's not how it's going to be. There's going to be no envy and no jealousy. So what's the purpose? The purpose is this. You'll be given those rewards. Um, I don't know what it's going to be. I, you know, but let's say it's a crown so that you can then take that crown off and you can lay it at the feet of your king, of your master, of Jesus. David said in the Old Testament, he said, I will not give to the Lord an offering that costs me nothing. So what it's costing you right now is your time and your talent and your treasure in life. And, and remember, if you get your reward on earth because you parade before people, then you're probably not going to get the size of jewel in your crown that you were hoping to get because you already got your reward on earth. But those things that you do on this side, you'll be able to, I want, I do not want to give to the Lord a measly, tiny little uh, crown. I want to give to the Lord a crown that has a lot of jewels because uh, he's worthy of a great, a great offering. Can somebody say amen? Yes. So that's what's going to happen uh, a little bit uh, toward the end. You will also receive a new body. This is where it kind of gets fun. Just as Jesus was resurrected and had a resurrected body, so you too will have a resurrected body. Now, we've had a lot of conversation about what that means. What is a resurrected body and what that looks like? So I'd like to take just a minute or two and talk about this. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he was the same, and yet he was different. He was the same, and yet he was different. His body functioned outside the limits of space. This is pretty awesome. He was able to appear in a room without ever entering the room. You too will have, he ate, he shared fellowship with his disciples, yet his hands and his feet bore the holes of the nails on the cross. But he was not in agony. He was not in pain. Our resurrected body, we can only imagine, will be somehow comparable to the example of the only resurrected body that walked upon the planet, other than for a brief moment or two. You know, we saw Lazarus and, you know, did some people that were raised from the dead, but we're talking about the, they, they didn't, they were in the form of their natural body. They weren't in the form of the resurrected body. And so we will know each other in, in heaven. Um, some people said, well, the, the, the age that you're going to be uh, of that body is going to be 33. I don't know if 33 was my best year or not. I don't know about that, right? So um, that's going to be entirely up to God and what he's going to choose, right? So praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Y'all good with going one more question? You good with this? This is a good one. Does, all of them are good. Does God, does God give us dreams about people that have passed on? 
people that have died. Like letting us know they're okay. By the way, I just kind of copy and pasted this on there. I would never start every sentence with like, just so you know, but just, just uh, like, like I've heard stories of loved ones that have passed like butterflies or dragonflies and things like that. And after they pass, their loved ones hear or see those things all the time or at the right time. Do you think God does stuff like that? I love the raw kind of questions that people have. Hey, now here's the deal. You probably have an opinion immediately, probably based upon something that you've been taught before, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And here's what I did when I did the research. I found there's, this is a polar argument. On this side, there's people that say, you see a dream of uh, somebody who has died that is absolutely a demon from the pit of hell that is tormenting you and trying to entice you and you need to stay far away from it and rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Okay, that's on this end of the spectrum. The, it's pretty uh, serious, right? And, and you might be on that end, but just hold on for a second. On this end, people are like, well, that's wonderful. Absolutely, right? Enjoy every moment of that. Um, and so there's just, uh, there's, there's this end. And I, I'm like, Lord, is there, a, is there a balance between the two or where do you want, where do you want me to be? So this is the answer that, that I, think, I think is what I want to present to you. And remember, standing behind the sacred desk, I'm going to be held accountable for this stuff, right? So I'm trying to answer the question the best way I can. Dreaming about a loved one that has died, that has passed away, is very common. It's not, it's not abnormal. Many stories of dreams about the dead involve family members or friends saying goodbye to their loved ones as their hearts are mourning and grieving the loss. Or dreams about late loved ones might occur not just immediately, but might occur months or even years after people have, have died, after people have passed away. Again, it's not uncommon. Sometimes people also have dreams about uh, animals, pets that have died. They were like family to them. And so there's questions about these things. What does that mean? Hmm. Sometimes dreams about the dead simply involve your mind processing your thoughts and your feelings about the loved one that you're missing. Are you following me? It's called grief. And grief is not something that we can put a formula to. It's not something that we know. You can write a book about grief, but you will not encapsulate all of grief. Grief comes in like ocean waves. You think you're sitting just fine on the shore, and next thing you know, a wave kind of, uh, your chair is underwater, right? It just hits you when you're not expecting it, and it can last for a long, long time. Hmm. Grief, grieving is a challenging process, and it involves wrestling with difficult thoughts and difficult emotions. So here's my counsel to the church and to the person who asked the question. Um, Seek counsel from the Holy Spirit. Seek counsel from God. Check out what Romans chapter 12 says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's what I believe and what, what I'm confident of. If you've invited the Holy Spirit to renew your mind, the Spirit will do that work at all times, when you are awake and when you are asleep. I'll say it one more time, because some of you are like, they said amen, there must have been something good there. Let me listen again. Um, if you've invited the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to renew your mind, 
particularly as you're grieving, God, renew my mind, as your word says, then the Holy Spirit will do that at all times, both when you're awake and when you're asleep. He is not going to let you fall into trickery. God is not going to let you be deceived. If we know how to give good gifts, how much more does he know how to give good gifts? If, what, what father, if their child asks for bread, will give them a stone instead, the Bible says, right? And so the Holy Spirit's gonna, he's gonna act as the counselor for you when you're awake and when you're asleep. And he will teach you all things. Through dreams about lost loved ones, about the dead, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit may deliver an important message that can help you find closure, healing, peace, and encouragement. But please do not misunderstand. If you are not asking for the Holy Spirit's help with this, then you can fall into a, a, a terrible trap where you are enticed by a, um, a, an evil spirit. So please make sure that you invite the Spirit of God into your life. God, lead me and guide me. Help my thoughts be your thoughts. And then as God gives you things, you know, pray about it. It doesn't hurt to ask, what does this mean? And some of you have come and asked and sought good counsel from the, the, the team and from our counselor. We encourage you to do that. But getting through the grief process is never easy. All right. Um, last question. Do you think God would not have some Christians raptured up uh, so they can be on earth here to disciple and to preach and bring people to repentance during that time? Do you think that God would not have people? Um, that's, that's interesting. Um, leave the question up there for a second. So the question was written in such a way, and I'm going to pick on whoever wrote it, but it's written in such a way because you want me to answer it a certain way, and I, I won't do that. Um, you know, God would not have some Christians raptured. Well, so that, of course, they can be here on earth to disciple people and preach and bring people to repentance during the time of the tribulation. The, this is a really easy one. No, right? No. The answer is absolutely, without a doubt, no, because I don't ascribe to this line of thought. There is no scripture that would indicate this is true. What this person is asking is, well, I, and every church, I've, every church that I've served at, somebody has come up to me as I preached about the end times, and they've come up to me and said, I don't really want to be saved. I'm like, why? Why? Um, and they say it in so many words, but I, why? Because I want to be here um, after the rapture so that I can help tell people at that time about Jesus so that many, many more people can get saved. And I'm like, uh, you're an idiot, right? Um, because that would be the, the word fool and idiot in the scripture is the same, right? And that's what you are. You're a fool because that's not God's plan. That's, that's demonic deception is what that is. You don't want to be there. Um, that's not what God wants for you. And so um, the answer is no. We do not ascribe to this. Do not try to not come to know Jesus so that you think you can be some superhero in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, the great tribulation because it's not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. That's not what God wants for you or for your family. Praise the Lord. Well, we've had a lot of questions. We got through uh, not even a half of them. I uh, appreciate those of you that did ask questions. I will try to email you responses as, I, as I'm able to decipher that. Hopefully you enjoyed this. I enjoyed the, the challenge, and uh, hopefully you learned something from this. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If you have any other questions, you can come talk to me. I'm happy to try to answer or make, make anything a little bit more clear. For those of you that weren't at our, at our State of the Church address, the mid-year review that we did have, let me remind you that starting on August the 1st, I have accepted a new position as the CEO of a company called Without Permission. Without Permission is, is headquartered out of Modesto. It is a company that has one mission, and that one mission is to fight sex trafficking in Stanislaus and San Joaquin counties particularly in the area of children. And I will be leading that organization on a full-time basis beginning on August the 1st. 
that does not mean that I'm leaving New Life as the, as the, the lead pastor. I'll still be the lead pastor, but it does mean that we'll be able to, the church will be able to save my salary um, uh, because the church economically needs to improve. And so by taking this position, now the church doesn't need to uh, give me as much salary and then the church will be a little bit more healthy that way. And we have got an incredible team in our, our pastors and our staff that we have to minister to you throughout the week. I still plan on being with you most weekends throughout the month as I've been in the past. So thank you for praying for me as we go into the darkness and the depravity of, of, of the sick world, the underworld that tries to snatch our children and do evil things with them. And, and I'm, I'm coming for you if, if you're part of that. And that's what I want you to pray for me as we, as we go there. God, thank you for this time together. Bless this church. Strengthen us, God, in our journey and our walk of faith. God, if there's been anything that I've said today that has not been correct, would you please wipe it away from our minds? Help us not to remember it any longer. But if it has been correct, God, would you, would you seal into our hearts and may we um, abide in you and follow your word and become not just hearers but doers of your word. I pray, God, for healing and strength and provision and power for your children. I pray these things in the awesome, incredible, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday. Y'all are dismissed. Amen, amen, amen.